Good morning, everyone. I am so, so thankful for Jesus. So, so thankful for Jesus. Like, I don't know if you guys felt that, but just singing those words, remembering what Jesus has done for us is just sparking a joy in my heart this morning that I legitimately, like, I have not had all week, and so it's very good for you <laughs> coming in not so, so doom and gloom, but just singing about what Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished for sinners like us, that God accepts us as he accepts his very own son is just absolutely amazing. It's a phenomenal thing. And, and I started off uh, this sermon series, it was our first sermon series, uh, walking through a book of the Bible, walking through the book of 1 John, and I started this series with, with this belief that as we looked at John's address to the church, and, and as we looked at and considered how John wanted our joy to grow and wanted our joy to be complete in Christ, that, that our joy would rise and we would see joy overflow and joy bloom in our lives. But I, gotta be, I just got to be straight up honest. It's really interesting. For, for me personally, the opposite has happened. I expected this, the Holy Spirit to move and, and this joy to rise up, but I've personally felt something very different. As, as I've walked through the book of 1 John and I've, and I've seen all these things that John wants us to be as Christians and, and how he wants us to hold on to and abide in Christ, I've honestly just felt, guys, like I'm, I'm not that great of a follower of Jesus. <laughs> like I've, I've honestly felt like I'm not that great of a disciple. I still have many blind spots and, and faults. I still sin daily. I still deeply desire my own way and I want things contrary to what God says I should want. And I, and I have moments where my attitude and my character and my heart do not reveal that I am in, abiding in Christ and, and walking in the light as God has called me to. And I've, and I've felt this, this condemnation come over my heart and, and some moments are just these, these small discontentments, and some moments, I've just got to be honest with you guys, they're, they're, they're close to full-blown self-loathing. Like, they're a deep, deep darkness. And so needless to say, this week, I very much needed the text that we're getting ready to walk through today. The, the pastor needed assurance this week. And, and as I was sitting down, getting ready to start working on my message, I was, I was praying and I asked God, I said, I said, Father, if you've forgiven me, if you've forgiven me, why does my heart condemn me? And because my heart condemns me, Lord, what can I do about these feelings? And, and God was so, so faithful to answer me with his word. If you would, would you turn with me to 1 John 3? Today we're going to be considering verses 19 through 24, and I want us to think about that question as we do. If God has forgiven me, why does my heart condemn me? My friends, God has given us a very, very special gift, and, and it's a gift that hasn't been given to anything else in all of God's creation, and that gift is the gift of conscience, or what we might call the heart. God has given you and me an inner person, 
an, an inner voice, an inner life with this beautiful ability to self-assess. We have this astounding ability to judge our own actions and thoughts and desires and motives, and no other creature can do this. None. If an animal sees food or sees a mate or sees a rival, he's going to respond based on self-interest and self-instinct. Like if a dog jumps up on your counter and steals your dinner or bites another dog, he doesn't go to his doghouse and think, now, should I have done that? He doesn't. It's all self-interest and self-instinct. His heart, his conscience, it's uninvolved. It's not even there. But ours is not. We, we weigh on a moral level what is right and, and what is wrong. And we weigh our own desires and the things that have gotten us wherever we find ourselves. And now with all the good that brings, our ability to, to know right from wrong, there's still a problem with this because in the same way that those desires and thoughts and actions are housed and live within us and they're tainted by sin, so our conscience or our ability to judge right and wrong or what we might call our heart is similarly tainted. There is a glitch in our system. We are broken and it's all too common for us to judge ourselves wrongly and we tend to fall on one or two ditches that lay on the road of sober judgment. So when we sin and we do things that are displeasing to God, some of us might look at our sin and say, well, that's not really a big deal. Like, everybody does that. And we'll, and we'll come up with tons and tons of ways explaining away what we've done and kind of shielding ourselves from the responsibility and severity of our actions. And so that's one ditch, but another ditch we might fall into is, is when we sin and we, we do something that's displeasing to God, we might sit there and say, I am utterly disgusting. We might say, I am so broken. How could God ever forgive me of this? How can I call myself a Christian anymore? How could God accept me? My friends, our conscience, our heart, has a very hard time judging soberly. And we're creatures of extremes. But God has graciously given us practical things we can do to assure our hearts when we feel this condemnation, to assure our hearts that we belong to him. But first, I just want to quickly consider some reasons why our hearts might condemn us, and then I want to turn to God's solutions for this self condemnation. So one of the reasons why our hearts may be condemning us is because of a specific or rampant sin. There may be something that we are habitually doing that displeases God. And what we are feeling is not so much self-condemnation as it is the conviction of God as, as he, he shares with us his displeasure over what we're doing and moves us towards repentance. So that's one thing, but another thing might simply be our disposition. You might simply have a personality that's gloomy. You might simply have a personality that's a lot less sunshine than other people. And that's okay. 
You may be more of an introspective person who tends to self-assess a lot and look very deeply at what's going on inside and consider more about yourself than, than some people around you. And you might be more of a pessimist than an optimist. But there also might be outside circumstances, things that are happening in your life that are outside of your control that are causing you to feel condemned or punished by God. You might be considering the stability of your job or the stability of your life or the amount of money that's in your bank account or the state of your family or a thousand other things. And that pressure, as you focus on the outside circumstances of your life, that pressure building can come on as a feeling of condemnation or God's displeasure with you. And lastly, and I believe this is something we often do not consider when our heart is condemning us, is simply our health, our physical and mental health. There might be something going on inside your body, a sickness or an ailment or a trauma that is robbing you from sound judgment about yourself. Because in the same way that the conscience is in the body, the intellect and the heart are housed within the body. And brokenness in the body can beget brokenness in heart and mind. We are holistic beings. And it's simply very hard to judge yourself rightly when you're suffering or you're experiencing trials of physical and emotional pain. So I don't want you guys to leave today thinking that the reason my heart is condemned is because of sin. It could be many reasons, sin just being one of them. But God does say that there's something that can be done about these feelings of condemnation in our hearts. For most of us, life is a constant mix of these things. It's not just sin. It's not just health. It's, it's not just outside circumstances, but it's all these things. But for whatever reason, if we are living with a condemned heart, it is undoubtedly affecting everyone and everything around us. The situation is real regardless of whether or not it is our health or our disposition or our sin. And like a good doctor, John wants to help us deal with these thoughts and feelings. And he wants us to believe, to truly believe that something can be done about this. And so John's going to do two things. He's going to give us some magnificent truths to hold on to. And he's going to give us some practical steps to follow so that we can go to God and seek from him a cure for this condemnation. And the first of those steps is a sincere love for others. If you read with me, we're actually going to start in verse 18. If you read with me verse 18 and 19, John says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So last week, Dan spoke a lot about the importance of us loving others like Jesus does. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I honestly think he just did a phenomenal job. And if you want to know how to love others like Jesus, go listen to Dan's sermon. Um, but throughout his letter to the church, John has been encouraging us to love one another in a sincere and self-sacrificial way. And now John turns not just to the benefit that it has on the people whom we love, but the benefit that it has on our own hearts. 
You might say, well, Jameson, how can me loving and giving to other people in a self-sacrificial way, how can that change the condition of my own heart? And here is a simple fact. Those who do not know God cannot love like God. Those who are not known by God cannot love by God. It is only by God's grace and his, and his truth and his light in us that we are empowered to love as Jesus loves. Now, as people come to know and feel the love of Christ that, that we show them through our words and our deeds, our hearts are assured because we can understand that this kind of love is not normal to our world. This kind of love is not easy. This love is actually a supernatural thing. It's not just something that springs up from a life that's still hungering for self-exaltation uh, and self-gratification and self-deceit. It doesn't come from lives that are still held by sin, and it cannot flow from someone who has not been touched by radical gospel transformation. And as we love the people around us, as we self-sacrifice, we can be confident that the strength to do so does not come from us, but from this miraculous inner working of God in us. And, and I'm wondering if you've felt something like this. I'm going to give a scenario. So let's say you're down, your soul is downcast, you're feeling broken, your life seems to be spiraling out of control, and your heart is condemning you, and the last thing you want to do is give more of what you feel you don't have. The last thing you want to do is love the people around you when you are feeling so deeply broken and so deeply unloved, and yet somehow you do. Yet somehow up from inside of you comes enough strength and grit and enough grace and enough light of God to accomplish the task set before you. you maybe you're a stay-at-home mother who after a long day of dealing with the kids and, and keeping the house clean and doing laundry and laying everybody's clothes out and packing lunches <laughs> are sitting there feeling unloved without a single thank you. Maybe you're a father who's just exhausted and crushed in spirit and your child comes up to you and says, Dad, can I have you? <laughs> can I have your time? Can I have your love? And you do it. Maybe it's in your workplace. You're feeling undervalued and overworked and overlooked and undercompensated and mistreated and yet somehow something rises in you to go the extra mile in love and service to those around you. My friends, this is an image of Christ's love for us. This kind of love does not surface from a life that is not invaded by God. See, Jesus was despised and rejected by us. Jesus bore our grief and our sorrows. He served us. He carried our sins. He forgave us. He labored for our benefit, and he's given us life in him. This kind of love is an image of Jesus. And if this is you, or anything like this, you find yourself in a similar situation, let your heart be assured 
and not condemned. Because this love only comes from a life permeated by the presence of Christ. Only from a life that belongs to Jesus and is being molded to look like Jesus. And the natural response to this feeling is humility and assurance and a building of confidence in God. Read with me verses 20 and 21. It says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence in God. My friends, even when our hearts condemn us, we can have a humble confidence in who God is and what he's done. Because of his grace in our lives, we can look to his work and look to his word and look to his worth to overcome our hearts. And John says very clearly, God is greater than your heart. He says very clearly, God is greater than how you feel about yourself in any given moment. So what does this mean for us? if God is in fact greater than our hearts. It means that when your heart wavers and you're experiencing condemnation either from yourself or from something outside of you or even because of God's displeasure, you can look to God. And God, by grace, by reminding you of Jesus' sacrifice for you, his sacrifice for even the very feelings of doubt and condemnation you are feeling can lift you out of these feelings and replace them with joy and a humble confidence in what he has accomplished for you. God can remind you of who he is and what he's done and you do not need to be carried along by your wavering heart. You do not need to go with it. You can cling to God's promise in Romans 8.1, where he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can look to what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. The full forgiveness of sins the full pardon of all penalties, the full acceptance of all of God's children. And we can remember that Jesus has accomplished what our heart and flesh could not and allow Jesus to carry us where our heart and flesh cannot take us. We condemn ourselves and we judge wrongly we even elevate ourselves when we should not. But John says something that we all must hear, whether or not we know Jesus, whether or not we've surrendered to Jesus, whether or not we would say we belong to God, we must hear this. And John says something that's incredibly simple to the Christian life, but very, very profound. John says, God knows everything. And you guys are looking at me like, yeah, I know, that's Theology 101, I get it. But it's so profound. And it might seem like a throwaway statement, and we might say, well, duh, we know that, we learned that when we first became 
Christians, but my question for you is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God knows everything? Because if we truly trust and believe that God knows everything, it has major implications for our life. Because if God knows everything, and he's the only one who knows absolutely everything, it means that he sees you rightly and that he is the only person that truly sees you rightly. All the good and all of the bad. If God knows everything, it means that he is the only reliable source. He is the only mirror into which I can judge myself. He is the only one who can give me accurate statements about Jameson. He's the only person at the end of the day with a full and final judgment. And we must trust that God can and will reveal to us a picture of who we are and what's going on inside of us when we feel this condemnation. And Paul said something similar to this, this idea of bringing who we are to God and asking him to give us an accurate picture. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. He said, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against me, but I am not therefore acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that what people think of him really doesn't bother him. And as a matter of fact, Paul's really not even convinced that he sees himself as he should see himself. He's looking at himself and saying, even my own perception, my own self-awareness, doesn't make my judgments about myself right. And I must submit how I see myself, my own self-awareness, my own self-perception, I must submit these feelings to God. Because only God can give me the most accurate answers about my thoughts and my deeds. And see, John and Paul understand something very significant. They understand the difference between our conscience and God's omniscience. There is an unfathomable divide between the little that I know about Jameson and the totality of what God knows about Jameson. And so I have to ask myself questions when I'm feeling condemned. Do I look to my own picture of myself? Or do I run to God's full and total, complete canvas of who I am? And God, he knows the deepest and darkest things in our hearts. God knows even the things we do not see about ourselves. And yet, here's the astounding fact, church. He loves us anyway. Isn't that amazing? God knows 
everything I've ever done, all the good, all the bad, even the things I have yet to do. Like I'm 32, there's a lot of time to screw up. He knows all of it, and yet he still loves me the same. And as a loving father, he does not cast us out even when we see ourselves wrongly. He still accepts us because of Christ. And Paul hints at something that to me is just absolutely awesome. He says, man, one day, I want to be like Paul one day, but he says this, I am not aware of anything against myself. That blows my mind. And John says something similar when he says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. When we remember that God does not condemn us and that he proved this by sending his son to suffer for our condemnation, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We can come boldly into God's presence asking him, Father, show me myself. We can confidently say, Lord, I have no idea why I do what I do. I have no idea why I feel what I feel sometimes, but I trust that you know. I trust that you have the answers. You know me better than I do. And I trust that your son paid for these feelings of doubt and condemnation I'm experiencing right now, and I just need you to show me who I am and what you want me to do about that. We can come to God and say, Lord, I'm laying all of my cards down. I'm laying everything I know about Jameson down, and I want you to tell me who I am. Am. And John says, when we commit to bringing our hearts, our consciences, before God and submitting them to his judgment, remembering that Jesus proves God's acceptance of us, we can expect answers when we call. We can expect God to answer our prayers. Read verse 22 with me. John says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Brothers, sisters, God requires from us a fundamental thing. And I would say it is the most important thing that God desires from every one of his children. And it's very simple it is dependence. God wants us to depend on him. He wants us to set our hearts on love, love for him and love for others, and to lay our hearts down before him, knowing he sees it all, knows it all, and accept those who trust in Jesus. And we can be confident that when we do this, when we bring our lives before God, and we 
open it up to God's judgments, that we can be confident that we can receive answers to our prayers. Even in seasons of condemnation. Even when those feelings are deep. Because here's what happened to me this week. I was struggling with these deep feelings of condemnation and issues with identity and and who I am as a son of God. And I prayed. (laughs) And I asked God, why do I feel this way? And what do you want me to do about it? And I opened my life up before him, and he answered. And all I asked, all I asked was, God, give me what you want. Give me what you want from me. Show me how you want me to see myself. And we can have confidence that if we do this, God will answer. Because when we want what God wants, and when, when, when we ask to see what God sees, God moves. Because that's what God wants. Did you know that God wants what God wants? Did you know that God gets what God wants? <laughs> and so when we ask, Lord, give me what you want, He's faithful to answer. In all of this, our love for others, the outpouring of God's love, our humble confidence in who he is, and the remembrance of what God has done, our dependence on him through prayer leads us to what is John's final result in all of this. That is a spirit-filled obedience to God's desires. Read with me verse 23 and 24. John says, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Friends, for those of you who are struggling with a condemning heart, Let this be your greatest point of assurance. For those of you who know Christ and are still struggling at times with condemnation, let this be your greatest assurance. God desires obedience and faith from us. He desires that we walk closely with him. He wants us to depend on his judgments and his judgments alone. He wants us to desire what he desires, but he has not left us alone to flounder and fail in our efforts to do what pleases him. On the contrary, God has, by his grace, given us a second gift. A second gift to rival our corrupted heart and our mixed up consciences. He has given us his very own spirit to live in us. He has given us his very own life alive in us. 
And we often strive to obey God's commands, to do what he tells us to do, to kind of fix our lives, to make sense of our hearts, and, and to be better, to love others. But we forget that the one who knows me better than I know myself lives in me. The one who knows me better than I know myself is alive in me. And though our hearts may condemn us, God does not condemn us. He has put a spirit of adoption in us, what the Bible actually calls a guarantee for the glory that we will experience when we see God. And though joy and assurance may seem far away, the spirit of joy dwells in our hearts and he makes war with the condemnation that is within us. And if it's sin that condemns, does not the Spirit bring forgiveness and life and repentance? If it is our disposition, does not the Spirit also comfort and lift our eyes to look to Christ? If it's outside circumstances that are pressuring us and making us feel condemned, is not the spirit of life and love and joy also the spirit of peace and contentment? If it's sickness, is the spirit not the spirit of healing? Friends, God desires our complete and total dependence, even to the point where we would say, God, I don't know what I know, but I want to know what you know. So my friends, be of good cheer, because I promise you, God is not done yet. He's not. Pain is often most intense when we've just begun. I want you to think about starting a new hobby, or a new workout, or anything new. The pain we experience is often most intense when we've either first begun, or when God is getting ready to give us a new season of relief. So let us, let's strive towards love for God. And let's strive towards love for one another, and by the power of God's Spirit, His own very life in us, let's go and change Owasso forever. Because I'm just going to be straight up, guys. What Owasso needs is not a bunch of whitewashed tombs. What Owasso needs is not a bunch of people putzing around, pretending like they have all the answers and they've got it all together. This is going to sound really bad, but we've got a lot of churches that are doing that. We've got a lot of Christians that are doing that. We've been told and pressured that we must walk pretending that there's nothing wrong. But what our city needs is churches that are so radically dependent upon the Spirit of God that we can live alongside unbelievers and say, hey, guess what? I'm broken too. But God is working in me even now. Churches who can say, you know, I'm not even sure that my perception of myself is accurate, but I know intimately one who has all of the answers, and I trust him. Churches that confess that life is often 
painful and difficult, but our God suffered so we don't have to suffer forever. Friends, Owasso needs people who are forgiven by God and know it and find their identity solely in who God says they are. So we can reach people who need that deep forgiveness and acceptance and comfort that we have. Convergent Church, can we be that church? Can we be that church that, that expresses our values, gospel community, gospel transparency, gospel conversation? And can we savor it with reality and hope? And give our city a true and accurate hope in God. I don't want anybody to think that they're going to come to Jesus and all of their problems are going to be solved. I want them to know that if they come to church and they meet Jesus and they encounter him and they're saved, I want them to know that they will have life everlasting and that there is a hope beyond the condemnation and pressures and pains of today. So let's be that church. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we thank you for everything that you've done. Lord, we thank you that you carry us in those moments of condemnation and pain and hurt. And Lord, we thank you that you are our great high priest, Jesus, who says, your Bible tells us that you have suffered all that we suffered, that you are intimately familiar with our trials and temptations, and yet you walk this life without sin so that we can call on you when our hearts need reassurance. We can call on you when we're lacking the obedience that we desire. We can call on you when we look in the mirror and we don't understand the person who's looking back. We know that you have every answer from us. You hear all of our prayers and you answer, Lord, and you have every answer for our city. And so let us not be a church who strives to have it all together, but a church that strives to have all of God. Lord, let us be a church that through our transparency and through our community and through our love from one another does not portray perfect people but portrays a perfect Savior. Lord, we want to see you lifted high. So Lord, we humbly ask, show us ourselves. Show us what's going on. And Lord, lead us in the path you would have us take. We deeply, deeply need you, Jesus, and we love you. In your name, amen.